Luke chapter 4, I wanted to talk to you this morning about what Jesus loves to do. I love talking about Jesus, and I want to talk to you about what Jesus loves to do. We're in Luke chapter 4. To set the stage for this, Jesus returns home to introduce his hometown to who he is. He gets into the church service in the synagogue, and they call him up to speak. Has that ever happened to you where you're just suddenly put on the spot? Wow, am I the only? Okay, I, I maybe need to do this more. It happened to me last night. I was at a, a hymn singing in a barn, and at the end of it, they said, Hey, Matt, why don't you come up here and lead us all in a final prayer? And I was like, Okay, sure, be ready in season and out, right? And so Jesus is there. He gets called up, and he says, Hey, bring me the scroll from Isaiah. And he opens it up, and he finds the spot in Isaiah 61, and he reads here. And he says, the, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty, liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to them, and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he says to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is who I am. That last part isn't in there. I'm just improvising or paraphrasing. But he declares to them, Guys, this is who I am. Play on the word I am. This is what I enjoy to do. And if you watch, you will see me going about and doing this from here until I return the second time. These are the things that I do. So let's look at them. But first, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord. When you see the Spirit of the Lord, it isn't just, hey, the Holy Spirit and, you know, whatever you imagine the Holy Spirit to be, this box, this character, this, uh, the dove with the fire. It isn't just that. I want you to understand when Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he is saying the character of the Lord, the heart of the Lord, the authority of the Lord, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore send I you. All authority, the authority of the Lord is upon me. The power of the Lord is upon me. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The love of the Lord is upon me. The sound mindedness of the Lord is upon me. The freedom of of the Lord is upon me. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The truth of the Lord is, John 14.17, the spirit of truth. So when he's saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he isn't just giving religious words. He is telling you who he is to the fullness of who he is so that you can understand and pull from and receive all of these areas, not just a religious doctrine, not just a religious term. Oh, the Holy Spirit. But the spirit of the Lord, everything that God is, Jesus says is upon me and I love carrying them into your life. 
That means he brings in the character of Jesus. He brings in the heart of Jesus. He brings in the authority of Jesus. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I said, uh, he was like, hey, can you, can you teach me more about Jesus? And I was said, sure, you know, you want to have some fun? And, I, and he said, yeah. He said, well, maybe we can get to where we're casting out devils and stuff. And he goes, oh, wow, I don't know if I'd have that power. And it's a misunderstanding, and, and I'll talk to him about it, because it's not about power, it's about authority. And Jesus has the authority to cast out devils, and Jesus lives in you. It's not you casting out the devil, it's Jesus in you casting out the devil through his authority. We fast and pray to cast out the devil because we don't really believe Jesus is with us. So we fast and pray to get an understanding of who Jesus is so that out of that authority, we can confidently say, you know, Jesus says, you're out of here, bud. Leave him alone. You don't have authority over this individual. The authority of the Holy Spirit is in Jesus and Jesus is in you. So this authority comes. The power, the dunamis of God rests in Jesus and Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. So the dunamis, the power, dunamis, dynamite, the dunamis of God is within you. I don't think I can do it. Well, Jesus can. I don't think I'm able. Well, Jesus is. The freedom of the Holy Spirit is in you. If you've received the Holy Spirit, the freedom of the Holy Spirit, and what the freedom of the Holy Spirit is, is when the Holy Spirit comes in, he begins to reveal to you everything that you believe wrongly about Jesus, everything that you hold on to, everything that you're getting power and strength from that is actually weakening you. He begins to reveal these things to you so that you can turn away from these idols, turn away from these things, see Jesus the way he is, and come into the fullness of who Jesus is. Breaking off, what's it called? Um, Orphan mentality or poverty mentality. Orphan mentality is that, uh, well, I'm all by myself. I got to do it on my own because there's nobody going to take care of me. You have a father in heaven. A poverty mentality is, well, I need to, I can't ask for that because I'm not worthy of the fullness. So I'll hold on to the minimal amount that I have right now. That's a poverty mentality. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you know what? Jesus is always with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus can do and has all things, so he's able to meet all of your needs. So get these things out of your, and he begins to liberate you, and you begin to come free. And when you're free by your belief, you begin to act differently. Remember, religion preaches conformity to a way of acting. Jesus preached liberty by the Holy Spirit, where you understand who Jesus is, and it sets you free. You begin to look, breathe, smell, taste like Jesus because you understand who Jesus is and you walk it out. That's when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Come on, Jesus. Because the spirit is there because he has anointed me. I've been called. I've been equipped. I am a servant, Jesus says. I have come to lay down my life so that you could gain what I possess. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
That isn't talking about dollars. That's talking of he laid down the fullness of who he was and took on who we are in our humanity so that we in our humanity could understand and receive the fullness of who he is as God. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus as the greatest servant. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy before him, he endured the cross. He served. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is upon me. I enjoy doing this because he has called me to do and I will walk this out. I will be the greatest servant who ever lived and I will lay down my life for you so that you can understand who I am. And then he goes, okay, this is what I enjoy doing, guys, because of this. I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. Anybody poor here? Poor doesn't mean money. Poor is talking about your understanding of who the Father is, your need for Jesus. It's humility. It's a place where you go, wow, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus says, great, I got good news for you. I am sufficient. I'm able to meet you where you are and lead you into the fullness that God has for you. Good news to the poor. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He meets you where you are in your humility and gives grace to you, gives you the ability to walk out of it. He also says here, which I enjoy, I love this. He said, he sent me... To proclaim liberty to the captives. Proclaiming liberty to the captives. What that tells me is how Jesus walks out and says, You know, I need you to understand that you're free in me. It didn't say he went to set the captives free. He said he went to proclaim liberty to them. So basically, in Christ, you are already free. You just need to understand it. Because you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've been redeemed and bought with a price. You belong to the Father. If you've received the blood of Jesus, if you said, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my rebellion and disobedience of my life. I give you my life, Lord Jesus. Do with it whatever you want. Come be my Lord and Savior. I confess that you are, you are our Lord and Savior. If you've done that, you've been translated. You're into his kingdom. And now it's in the process where he is setting you free by revealing to you who you are in him. And that causes you to become free. Liberty to walk in. One of the items that I have up here, though, everybody know what that is? Microwave plate. I was going to have the whole microwave up here, but I thought it might be, this would be a lot easier to carry and easy illustration, right? Microwave plate. So we have a microwave plate up here because Jesus is not a microwave. And we live in a, in a microwave society. I've grown up with a microwave. You know, uh, food is a lot better when it is slow cooked and cooked over a stove. You know, I, I can eat a TV dinner that's been thrown in a microwave. But man, the hot and cold spots, the burnt spots and the frozen spots... Of the, on the same meal, you know, the bread that's like soggy, you know, or it turns like rock as you're eating it, the bread. 
you know, and that's what all you've had all your life. You expect that's just normal, but that's not normal, guys. Fresh baked bread in the oven. Oh, my word. Walking into a, a house where there's been bread baking and it's just come out of the oven and they cut you a steaming slice and you take butter and it melts as soon as you put it on. Wow. But it takes a lot more time. Jesus is not a microwave. Jesus is in a long-term relationship with you. He's invested in you. He sees the way you are right now, and he will continue to lead you into who he has called you to be. It's a long-term, slow-bake thing, not a microwave. There will be times when you will suddenly get a revelation and something will just drop off of you. You know, you'll have a massive paradigm shift. He'll reveal something to you. It'll sink in and be like, wow, and your course, your walk will be changed. And there are other times when it's a slow, slow growth into. The guy who wrote Amazing Grace. You guys familiar with the story? Uh, He was a slave trader, spent time as a slave, his ship was captured and he was a slave, got set free, went back to slave trading, ended up becoming a captain of a slave trip. Save slave ship got saved he had a massive stroke and got saved continued as a captain of a slave ship and when he couldn't do that anymore he invested in the slave industry for a number of years until it hit this is wrong and then he began to join the abolitionist and it was a number of years later that he wrote Amazing Grace it wasn't an instantaneous whoop change. It was a slow growth change where he realized this isn't right. We like it better when it's just an instantaneous because it seems so clean and, and Hollywood is 30 minutes and the sitcom's over and everyone's happy. But in real life, it's a lot slower. But the good news of that is, and in real life, Jesus is still working with you. If you have an expectation that, man, I should be done by now, ding, the microwave's over. Jesus saying, honey, I'm still working on you. This is a slow cook because it's going to be a good meal. I don't want heart, heart, uh, part of your heart cold and part of your hot, part of your heart hot. I want the full thing cooked the way it should be. So when he says here that I am proclaiming liberty to the captives, This is a process that takes place over time and it just continues your entire life. As revelation hits and you go, wow, I've been thinking this way my entire life. I don't have to think this way. Even last night, you know, I've been a pastor, man, it seems like forever. Uh, I don't know. 10, 20, 25, 25 years, 27 years. I have been active in ministry Uh, 15 as a senior pastor. So uh, you would think that pastoring stuff is just so easy for me. Last night when I'm at that singing, I was there to enjoy the singing. I was not there to be a pastor. And so when the guy and everyone had stopped and they said, oh, wait a second, before we end, Matt, would you come up here and pray over us? That is very uncomfortable for me. I like to think through and spend about two hours praying in tongues before I do things like that. You know, because I like to, 
uh, make sure what I'm going to say is what Jesus wants to say and not just what Matt wants to say. So over the past year, the Lord has been dealing with me to be more quick and take opportunities and don't shy away from them. Because before I would always go, oh, no, 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 no. You know, and I would just ref basically refuse to, to walk through those doors that the Lord opened for me. And he began to convict me of like, okay, Matt, I, I need to unwrap this. When I open a door, I want you to walk through it because this is me opening the door for you, not you. So don't think poverty. Don't think you're not worthy. Don't think whatever it is. And I had to go through and dig through what is stopping me from just walking through these doors. And so I made a commitment to the Lord months ago. Okay, Lord, if you open a door, I want to walk through it. And the first couple, I failed miserably. It was afterwards, after I had refused to walk through the door, that I realized, oh, that was a door from the Lord. I think I shared them with you about the young person that came here and walked into our building. You remember that? And I realized, oh, man, I totally failed the test, Lord. Please give me another chance. Don't be done with me, you know. And it's like, of course I'm not done with you. Let's, let's keep going. So last night I'm sitting there singing hymns, and I felt like the Lord prodded me and said, you know Chris is going to invite you up for prayer, and you need to get ready. Don't refuse. Don't miss this opportunity. And I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to. I don't like being the center of attention. I, I don't. You know, this is the town I live in. You know, every excuse in the book. And he just said, you need to do this. And I said, okay. And then sure enough, Chris goes, hey, Matt, why don't you, know, you come up and pray. And I went up and I prayed. That's the kind of things I'm talking about that he never finishes with you. It is a process of liberating you and bringing you into. And for me, it's ministry. For you, it might be business. It might be uh, dealing with kids. Uh, it, it could be a million different things that he is liberating into you into your calling, whatever your calling is. And he breaks these things off of you. Jesus loves to do it. The next thing that Jesus says here, he says, not only do I proclaim uh, good news to the poor and uh, send to proclaim liberty to the captives, also I pr uh, bring recovery of sight to the blind. And that's where you, uh, you don't see what Jesus has for you. You've got things that are, are blinding your eyes and you just can't even see it. You see the picture of, uh, or the story of Saul who turned into Paul. And he had the scales that fell off his eyes. He thought, I am serving God. And Jesus says, man, you're persecuting me. You're actually counterproductive. You're completely blind to what I have for you. And I need to set you free to open your eyes. I, had a, I was doing a phone call uh, a couple days ago. I was driving and uh, I was on a Zoom call. I wasn't watching it. Uh, you know, I just had it over here so I could hear it and I could respond. Just, I, I drive safe. I do. I, I rarely, rarely text when I'm driving. Uh, rarely, rarely. <laughs> Most of the time I do voice the text, you know. Hey, Siri, text so-and-so. And they're like, and she's like, what? You don't have a cell phone for snow. <laughs> no. I won't send it. Thank you. Oh, bless the Lord. Anyway, I'm on the Zoom call, and the guy just starts sharing. He said, you know, I, you know my story. Uh, I battled cancer like four times, and uh, we're talking about this. And he goes, uh, you know, I am having this pain, and they think it's my liver. My liver numbers are messed up, and they're pretty sure it's cancer of the liver, and I'm terrified. 
because I know cancer of the liver has a really bad, you know. And uh, so I, I just began to ask him questions and to dig with what he's thinking, what his thoughts of. And it came out that, well, you know, I've got this area of my life that I struggle with, and uh, I just know that this is punishment for my area that I struggle with. The bad things in life come because I've opened doors and I'm just reaping what I sowed. And I was like, man, that's, if, if it worked like that, we'd all be dead. You know, some of us are just better at hiding our areas of struggle than others. You know, but if it really was that, that way that God just, whoop, okay, this is the third time I've told you. Man, it would be dangerous to hang around with anybody because there'd be lightning. You know what I mean? And I just talked him through that, and I talked him through, and I was like, you know what? I just really feel like the Lord says, good report. And I don't say this very lightly. I just really feel the Lord says, good report. I think what he's trying to do in you is to reveal to you that you are his son, that he loves you, and that he is dealing with this area, and he will deal with this area, but he's not throwing you away because you have a struggle. He's not aborting you because... You have a struggle. He wants you. And the Zoom call ended, and uh, a couple days later, he had gone in for a, uh, the scan. What is it, a PET scan? Or whichever one they do for, for liver MR. I don't know which one it is, but it was for liver cancer. And he, he t- all I got the text was, test is negative. Come on. Come on. The Lord is good. So if you're struggling in an area, if you've got something attacking you because you feel like you deserve it, I'm telling you this morning, that is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to beat you to teach you. Jesus teaches us by speaking to our hearts and changing our hearts. He doesn't want conformity of behavior. He wants conformity of heart. And you don't get to the heart by beating. Okay? <clears throat> so he causes those the eyes to be open and to see. Come on, Jesus. One of the objects that I wanted to show you, Jesus is not glasses. Okay? He's not something you put on. Oh, now I can see. You know, I take Jesus off, I'm blind. Oh, now I can see. How beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with me. Oh, Jesus, where did you go? Jesus isn't a pair of glasses. Jesus like is in you. Jesus is your eyeballs. And he fixes your eyes on the inside. He's not something you just add off and on. He changes the way you see. He takes off the blindness and puts in good sight. He make, get, makes it so that you see 2020. Whether it's your, um, any area of your life, you can throw it up there. Physical health, finances, relationships, uh, your spiritual life with the Father, your life in the church, whatever that is, Jesus helps you to see better so that you can see it correctly. Probably more than likely right now is you have Coke bottle glasses on from what's happened to you and you can't see because you have the glasses that you have on. And Jesus is like, you know what? Let's take off those glasses so that you can see you as I see you. And you can see the world as I see the world. So I encourage you, take off the glasses If you're into politics, take off the political glasses. 
and see the world as Jesus sees it. Seek him about it. Seek him for how he sees the situation, even in your personal life, your marriage, with your kids, in your finances, in your individual life. How does Jesus see it? He loves revealing things like that. Lastly here, and I want to preface this with, uh, when Jesus preached this, he quoted just a portion of Isaiah 61. There's a lot more there. And if you want to do a study of all who Jesus is and what he loves doing, read the whole chapter of Isaiah 61. Because it's just beautiful. It's like, wow, yes, 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 yes. And he just did a portion of it because I think the, the people in Nazareth couldn't even handle the small things that he said. Imagine if he had done the whole thing. The last thing he says here is he says, uh, to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed. Yeah, he does also say proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I won't cover that today. I've covered that before. But I really want to hit on the set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is where Jesus really gets involved and he liberates, he sets free. If you're oppressed, it's from an outside source, demonic, and he takes care of it because he has authority over it. And he speaks life to you and he unwraps you. Do you know, uh, in 1 John 3, 8, it says, for this, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. I haven't memorized King James, I apologize. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. God was manifest. Jesus was manifest for this purpose, to destroy the works of the evil one. And that word destroy is the word, same word when he says about Lazarus, hey, you guys, unwrap him. It's the same word. So destroy is unwrap. So Jesus says, man, for this purpose, I have come because I want to unwrap you. Everything that Satan has bound you up in, everything that has bound you up and conformed you and tied you up so that you, you, you walk like, like you're a mummy, I want to unwrap you. I want to get you unwrapped and loosed. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Let's loose. Loose. I want to loose you. Again, this is a long-term project. Long-term project that Jesus does, and he looses you. Most of the loosing takes place around other believers. Ooh. Can't we just loose me in the closet, Lord? That way no one knows. You know, when he said Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus gets up. The, I don't know how Lazarus did that stairway all the way up, you know, but he gets up there and Jesus says, hey, you guys, loose him, unwrap him, destroy the works of the enemy in his life. Why does he require it to be done mainly among believers? One, because it helps us with our humility. It helps us with our love for one another. It helps us with our honesty and authenticity to go, okay, yeah, I see their problem, but really, guys, I, I, I got the same thing. I've been there. I understand this. It helps us not to judge one another. It helps us to build unity and family 
hey, I care about you, man. I'm sorry you're going through this. The realness of it. That's where it's walked out. If it's all done in the closets, then we can just come in here and float. Ah, I'm holy, you're holy, we're all holy. Jesus wants you free and he's willing to invest in you and I encourage you to give him space to do it and that is in your individual study and time with the Lord, get in his presence, let him speak to you and then get around other believers who have the ability to really know you and speak into your life. That can be walked out in several ways. It can be walked out in small groups. It can be walked out in a church service where you actually stick around long enough to talk to people or go up to prayer meetings, you know, or attend more than once every four weeks. I know it's a very American culture right now. Uh, Did you know statistically as a pastor, they tell you to be able to count your congregation, take your Sunday morning attendance and take it times like 0.25 because people tend to only attend one Sunday a month. And so you're, you're a lot bigger than what. But that means if you only attend a church service one Sunday a month, then you're only getting Jesus ministering to you by Jesus and by your fellow believers for two hours a week, a month. Wow. If you want to grow, the best ways to grow are spend time with people who drive you up a wall <laughs> and who spur you on. And who do things differently than you. We went with some good friends. And uh, we have unique that we each, we vary in what we believe about stuff. And I realized that I pushed her buttons a little bit. um, Because she had opinions about what a pastor should be. And I wasn't it. And it, she was like, I kept hearing gasp. And I was like, oh no, I've done it again. I'm sorry. Um. One of them was, and I'll just be honest with you, I, I, uh, I well, I'm always honest with you. Uh, I, when I was up there, I don't, you ever heard of Dr. McGillicuddy's whiskey? It's a, so, so I have, and I like Dr. McGillicuddy's menthol whiskey. When I get a whole head cold, it's my medicine, okay? And over 10 years, I've probably gone through two, maybe three bottles of it over 10 years. So it's not like I'm like chugging it down, don't get me wrong. But we were up there, and they had cherry-flavored. And I thought, hmm, this might be really good. And so I bought it. And I went out, and I showed our friends, hey, look, they have cherry-flavored Dr. McGillicuddy's. And she goes, you're joking, right? You, you don't drink whiskey, do you? And I was like, well, I do every now and then, you know, for like when I have a head cold or something. It's not like I like chug it down or keep it in a flask in my side pocket or something and she was uh, you're joking there's no uh, yeah. she was like stammering I was just like oh actually I'm just going to go put this in my car and I realized I had pushed a button and I didn't really mean to push a button but yeah I hope that I hope that you guys haven't dropped me down a few notches but if you did then I guess it's okay because I if you have me up there I need to come down a couple notches anyway uh, I do like Dr. McGillicuddy's menthol whiskey it tastes like menthol. And this cherry stuff tasted like cough syrup. It is just, it was a waste of the $20, but it's okay. You, you live and learn, right?
what that has to do with Jesus. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, bless you, Lord. Jesus loves to do these things, guys. And I guess what I really want to emphasize with you this morning is that Jesus is alive and well. And he's still doing, he's still doing these things. He's still proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. It's right now. It's right now. It's not past. You didn't miss out. It's for today. It's for you uh, because Jesus loves you. Okay? Let me pray over you this morning as we're closing and then we'll head downstairs slowly. You can fellowship and then in about 15 minutes, I think they're going to open up the line for people to go through for food. And we do have a lot of food, guys. We cook the meat and some of the main sides. So we do all that the church provides. And then we let people bring desserts and other sides. So there's a lot of stuff down there. Please, uh, what you don't eat, we're going to be forced to eat during staff. And so I'd rather just bless you guys, okay? Lord, I thank you for your presence in our life, Jesus, and that the work you begin, you are faithful to complete. Oh, man, Jesus, you are so faithful. You see us as we are, and you correct us, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for it. I thank you for your love, that we're not orphans. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always with us, Lord. We're not orphans, and we're not uh, in poverty, Father. We may be poor, Lord, but you make us rich in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for it, Lord. Speak to us today, Father. Let this percolate on our hearts, Lord. And remind us of who you are and what you're doing in each of our individual lives, Lord. We thank you, Father, for it. And we pray in your uh, beautiful name that has full authority. Amen and amen. God bless you.